Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And in a week when British Steel uh, are in the spotlight, uh, Business Secretary Greg Clark has chaired a meeting bringing together representatives from British Steel and the government, MPs, trade bodies, trade unions and local leaders and the local LEP. Um, there is a commitment to to rescue British Steel, uh, British Steel, um, but we'll have to watch that one. Also, in a week when Waitrose started to trial a reduced packaging initiative by taking all the plastic from flowers and plants and fruit and veg, um, and also moving towards perhaps encouraging people to bring their own packaging to take certain items away. Um, they're just trialing that in one store at the moment, I think, just to see how that pans out. They're doing it in Oxford. Um, the Bring Your Own Packaging is, is um, uh, as I say, is, is in the frame, but also a borrow a box scheme where you rent a box for £5 to take your stuff home and then you return the box and get your £5 back. Do you remember the olden days of, you know, bottles yeah. of pop with... Pennies on, you know, yeah. on. Well, maybe we're going back to that. There'll Deposits, be kids yeah. clearing plastic boxes from um, from roadsides and getting the fivers <laughs> back, maybe. Uh, and then a slightly more light-hearted one in a week when that well-known brown sauce, HP sauce, have changed its label for the first time in 123 years. Wow. They have... I missed that one. Yep. uh, Big Ben is famously on the HP sauce, Houses of Parliament sauce, and they have redesigned the label to have the scaffolding that is currently (laughs) all around Big Ben because it's going to be there until 2021. So uh, I haven't actually seen a bottle myself, but I've seen the story online. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's an interesting one but we've chosen to talk about something that we've kind of touched on a little bit in the past and we've talked about artificial intelligence and um and big data and all of these different things and a lot of that comes under industry 4.0 or industry 4.0 whichever is the correct way 4.0 i guess isn't it yeah i think so 4.0 now i personally find this quite a dry subject um so i i hold my hands up to that but uh i I wanted a, a, an easy to understand definition. Uh, so I, I, I googled and basically the definition of industry 4.0 is uh, after mechanization, which was industry 1.0, mass production, industry 2.0 and automation, industry 3.0, the advent of the Internet of Things and services in manufacturing is leading to the fourth industrial revolution industry 4.0 and that is where production is made more individual and efficient using and harnessing the the um the capabilities of uh, computer software etc so tracy i know you love this sort of stuff. well i love manufacturing anyway yeah. and i'm um IT professional as well, so it it brings it all together. It is commonly referred to as the fourth industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of other phrases that have been banded around it. And it's been around for quite a few years now. Um, Smart factory, future factory. And then, as you say, you get all of these other phrases. The industrial internet of things, the IIoT, not just the Internet of Things, the industrial Internet of Things. Okay. Big data, cloud computing, additive manufacturing, advanced robotics, 
augmented and virtual reality, all of that coming together. And Industry 4.0 is the convergence of that. It's the IT, it's operational technology, so the stuff that actually produces things. And it's creating what they're calling a cyber-physical environment. Oh, my goodness. And it sounds like it's an impossible thing that only big companies can deal with. And that's really where I've focused today because... there's a lot of things that are happening in business in general that actually fall into industry 4.0, even if you're not uh, actually manufacturing things. Obviously, things like cloud computing and big data and the Internet of Things can be relevant to small business as well. But when you look at industry 4.0 and you do a Google search, to be honest, it is all focused on the big companies. It's um, If you do a search, it's about three and a half million results turn up on Google for industry 4.0 really and then if you put industry 4.0 and smes it goes down to about half a million so okay so smes aren't it's not being sold to smes as something that they can potentially get involved well, and with it's and all utilize. of those things isn't it that you're hearing industry 4.0 the fourth industrial revolution big data data analytics internet things and a lot of small businesses either not interested or think it's too much effort too expensive or to be frank, exhausting, yeah. trying to keep up with it. And and a lot of the papers that you read about it, the, the statements, uh, there's one I read, to react to changing market di- conditions quickly and effectively, manufacturers need to begin adapting to industry 4.0 technology. For most small businesses, that's a big turnoff. And then you've got all of these massive documents that talk about all the investment that you can make. And it can just be a bit too overwhelming for people. So actually, my my thinking is that a lot of these things are actually a lot more affordable for SMEs and a lot more achievable than the current writing suggests. And if you dig a little deeper, for example, one example, it's not exactly a cyber physical environment, but one of the things that fits in it is cloud computing. And you look at something like Xero, which is an online cloud-based accounting software. It's incredibly good and incredibly affordable. And you compare that to the days when you bought a a box with some CDs in and you paid this massive license for an accounting package. I won't name it necessarily, but... In nice green and white box. That's the one. And it was really, really, it was a big investment for you to make. And then you had to upgrade it. And actually, it was something like zero. It makes this fantastic accounting software available at a reasonable price. And that's cloud computing. So even though you might not be manufacturing and producing in this fourth industrial revolution, a lot of the side issues can can have a big impact on your business. So I, I think it's... Um, one to perhaps not close your mind to and just think how else can I get involved for example big data we've we've talked about big data with the likes of Amazon and how they Netflix how how they use this big data and their business is more of a data business than anything else and it's how they collect and store and, and use that data but you can collect data as well Again, online storage is, is so much cheaper than it used to be. You can collect, you don't have to collect massive amounts of data, but if you start to collect data on your business, you can have little data 
a little bit bigger data and a bit more data. But it all adds to what you can do with your business. And it's all related to this fourth industrial revolution. And it can, it can grow with you. I mean, I think, you know, the whole um, cloud computing thing, you know, once upon a time, we were, and it's not very long ago, we were all like, what? What, we just... We just like send it up into this cloud and it sits there and how do we contain it and how do, but we've we've sort of got beyond that now uh, but the things that we perhaps don't think about are um, if we have a service co- service contract with a company that look after our servers for example they can start to anticipate or spot if our server is going to fail and this is all part of this um, this this in industry 4.0 where it's the anticipation of a machine failing a server failing a car component failing i mean you know there's still a little bit of me that thinks that you know washing machines and dishwashers are programmed to fail after 10 years you know because otherwise they go on forever and ever but it's that intelligent machines it's intelligent machines and how we utilize that now that that's accessible for everybody Uh, if you want to work remotely you know, that is all part of this. Um, 3D printing. Yeah, that, that's what's called additive manufacturing. I had to look that one up. OK. So, oh, so 3D printing is where you, you use 3D models to create parts of the 3D printer layer by layer. That's right. the definition of additive manufacturing. But it's so much more accessible now than it was a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, anybody, you know, we can have a 3D printer in our offices now if 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 there's something that we want to physically 3d print um even if it's a prototype i know that it you know they're they're quite large in um in architecture and and and, uh product design where you yeah you can you can create a prototype to see how this is going to work and if somebody there was somebody i network with and i think they have a client who kits out um very high-end yachts you know millions and millions of pounds yachts and somebody was doing a reef a refit and they just printed the 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 sofas or the whatever it was to show to the client so that the client could visualize what it's going to look like and okay it wasn't cheap to print it but it was a darn sight cheaper to print it and show them than um build it and then <laughs> and them not like them it and them not yeah. like it and and okay you know that's big buck stuff but it it's only a matter of time before all of that starts to come to come down to the smaller SME yeah. business and i think as well the the other thing to think about is that i think the assumption is that with industry 4.0 and this these intelligent machines that they will replace people but actually, it's it's about collaboration. And there's another phrase that I came across called cobots or collaborative robots. And and it actually it's where you give these cobots the dangerous or the jobs that are too complex for humans to do. Right. But then you have a workforce that work collaboratively with the machines. So. The trend is towards the role of humans in the factory changing rather than them being removed altogether and so humans go from performing the manufacturing tasks to supervising and collaborating with the machines problem solving coming up with the innovative solutions and developing the technology so i think the workforce is going to need to move towards being more digitally enabled and that's where companies need to start perhaps looking if they're planning their workforce is upskilling their employees 
to analytics and data science that they need to use for this type of factory. And that is only a progression. If we go back to the cotton mills, you know, when there were people physically in mill rooms, you know, working, and now that's automated, it's it's just a continuation of that. I don't think people are ever going to be redundant. Uh, we're always going to need that the brain. Do you know we? what sticks in my mind is the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, the one with... Um, Oh, what's his fit? The, the more recent one. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, that's yep. the one. And um, Charlie Bucket's dad worked in the toothpaste yep. um, factory screwing the lids on the toothpaste machine. And do you remember that scene where he lost his job to robots who then screwed the lid on the toothpaste? But he got his job back looking after the robots that yes. were screwing the lids And on. there we are. That's Yeah, that's, so, so jobs this is evolve. a continuation of this. Yes, yeah. Well, that's inspired me to talk about the new shoes that I've just bought. Ooh! Now, we've just played, for anybody who's listening on the podcast, we played Paolo Natini with new shoes, just so you're not feeling a very good out of the loop. I had some new shoes a couple of weeks ago, and I'd seen these shoes online for ages and thinking, oh gosh, you know, they look really nice. Um, they've got quite quirky designs, so they're, they're not symmetrical, which has driven my daughter insane. She doesn't like the fact that they're not symmetrical. Oh, as a pair, all. they're not symmetrical. As a pair, they're oh, not heck. symmetrical. Okay. So on on some of the shoes, there's like a fried egg on one and bacon on the other. Okay. Well, my, I didn't go for the fried egg and bacon right. one, but I went for a flower pattern. It's got different flower pattern slightly on the left foot to the right foot. Um, they're lovely, but I wasn't quite sure about the quality or the fit. So I saw a lady in a craft shop, and she was wearing some. I went, oh. I recognise those shoes. They're hot chocolate designs, aren't they? Oh. Yes, they are. And they're so comfortable. So that was it. I was straight online. You needed no and more I encouragement. Ordered, I ordered my shoes. Now, the reason I mention it is not particularly to promote this brand, but is the quirkiness of their packaging. It was a delight to open the parcel. It came in what was like a Tetra pack. It looked like it was a milk carton, milk okay. a big tall milk carton. It sort of doesn't look like it had shoes in it okay this beautifully made tetra pack box with my shoes in with hot chocolate design on it it was just oh. and it and the shoes were wrapped in in a nice um packaging inside that as well i just wanted to give them a mention because we, we've sometimes mentioned on the show about how we, we've been blown away by the quality mm. of packaging as it arrives and the little thoughts and 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 you know sometimes handwritten notes and packages yep. you get this this was really interesting oh. and the shoes are very comfortable as well and the fact that it annoys my 13-year-old daughter because they're not symmetrical is just an added bonus. I would struggle with that. with the uh, <laughs> But packaging plays such an important role, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, does yeah. indeed. Although I'm, I'm not sure that Tetra Pak is completely environmentally friendly. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, that gets into the whole what yeah. you can recycle and what you can't recycle. And I don't know where the Anyway, swiftly moving is. on. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, I spotted in the news this week that Apple have announced that they're getting rid of the standalone iTunes app. This is particularly relevant for people who are actually using Mac computers. Um, they're they're going to, for a start, they're going to get rid of that thing where when you plug your phone into the Mac that it automatically loads up iTunes. Good. So that that's going, but they're going to separate separate out music, podcasts, and TV into three separate apps. And I thought I'd mention it here because um, one of the ways that you can listen to our podcast is on iTunes, and it is available. If you go on your phone, there's already an app there for podcasts. But if you're listening on your Mac, then you'd have 
would ordinarily go through the iTunes um, software, but now there's going to be Apple Podcast software, Apple TV software, and Apple Music. Which makes absolute sense to me. I've always... I've always struggled with the idea that a podcast comes through iTunes because for me, iTunes is is music. Yeah. So why would the spoken word be coming through that? So I I prefer... I think it was generally, generally, I'll say that again, generally well-received in in the industry. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And then Amazon, they've... In 2013, they announced that they were going to be developing drone deliveries and they've been working on it in secret the last six years but this week they announced that they're going to have their prime air drone making deliveries within months within months within months and the new device can fly up to 15 miles deliver packages up to five pounds in weight um, and get deliveries to customers within 30 minutes so i at the risk of sounding like a dinosaur, I just can't visualise this. You know, the idea that it's going to be like the Hunger Games. You know, one day, these things are just going to be whizzing past our ears, delivering. Yeah, but imagine or... you're, you're there on a Saturday night and you've run out of wine. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying it's, I'm not, saying <laughs> I'm not going to adopt it. To save your drone. <laughs> with, it, with its own uh, ice bucket in it. Yeah, I'm not saying that I'm not prepared to adopt these, but yeah, I just think I imagine it sounds really yeah, weird. With a 15-mile radius, they're going to have to be servicing where, where they've currently got their, um, their distribution centres. Yeah. But it, it's interesting. I'm going to keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. You've got something on Amazon. Yeah, I have. Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite a few weeks ago, we talked about IKEA and how IKEA are opening shops uh, on the high street where you can go and look at furniture and look at their stuff not able to buy them but to to view well amazon is sponsoring and this is kind of um in response to the publicity that is always around amazon and that that it's killing the high street because people just go online and order online and get stuff delivered uh, by drone it would appear now um They're sponsoring 10 pop-up shops across Britain over the next year. Uh, The aim is to give small online-only brands a physical presence in an attempt to improve its image on the high street. The first one uh, has opened in Manchester and there'll be others in Wales, Scotland, the Midlands, Yorkshire and across the South East. Essentially what happens uh, is that uh, a, a group of small businesses join together and then they split the rent. Um, so they're using the store in, in Manchester, for example. So each pays £150 a week for a 12 square metre space. So it's your traditional pop-up shop method, but it's joining together um, micro-businesses. And they're doing this in conjunction with um, Enterprise Nation. I think we've mentioned Enterprise Nation before. Uh, and founder Emma Jones, um, who set up Ent- Enterprise Nation about 10 years ago, I think, um, says that we've secured the shops, we've recruited the sellers, and now we're fitting out the shops and the reason Amazon is back in the campaign is it wants its online sellers to have an opportunity to test physical retail and I think that that's a great opportunity for um, for people who perhaps use Etsy they, they might use Amazon themselves uh, to actually get a high street presence and this big future high street fund which it, which the government is 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 in, um, has earmarked for investment in the high street this all se- serves to complement that so uh, watch this space um, if you live in Manchester and you have popped along um, to to the one that they've opened already there please let us know drop us a line um, leave a comment on our, our podcast you can contact us 
contact us here at Calon FM or at thebusiness.community. Regular listeners will know that we like to find bits and bobs that that are portals of information or inspiration or discovery. And so this is what we call the discovery part of the show. And I, this week, have found a website that that I love. It's called uh, Business Matters. Uh, it's Business Matters magazine. Uh, now, I don't know why they call it BM magazine, but... Oh, no, that is right, isn't it? Business B- Matters magazine. B- yeah, yeah, I was thinking they've got too many M's in there. But no, as you were, Business Matters it's magazine. It's like pin number. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. Anyway, Business Matters magazine is an online magazine um, and it, 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 it says that it is the go-to place for small businesses uh, and SMEs. And it has news. So it has, for example, 23 must-read articles for today, which uh, includes things like um, the closure of um, Ford's uh, Bridge End plant um including the loss of 1700 jobs um use timesheet software to boost your productivity uh, jaguar land rover and bmw join forces on electric cars so there's all the sort of topical newsy stuff but then beyond that it's got advice finance legal information some um business opinion a, a tech section a section around funding which i think you know, most of us will be interested to to sort of take a look at. Uh, it's really easy to navigate, um, and it, it, it's 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 up to date. So often you come across something like this, and you know it's not nice updated, idea, nice but... idea, uh, but it's not got uh, any substance or not regularly updated. But there are uh, updates, several updates a day happening. Uh, it's 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 really busy. And it's, it's easy to navigate, as I say. And you can find yourself sort of disappearing down a bit of a, uh, a rabbit run on certain things because it links things together in such a way that you can look at a whole tech strand. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I've just had a look now and I'm, I'm about to disappear down the rabbit hole. Harry Redknapp turns jam roly-poly passion into new online business. Well, I mean, exactly. I'm going down the rabbit Where hole. Where else are you <laughs> going to find that? Where else are you going to find that? Uh, yeah, so I, 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 I just think it's it's a good it's a good reference, and certainly in terms of doing research or you know just getting opinion on something, uh, just to get you thinking. Uh, for example, if you go to the opinion section, some of the UK's leading business leaders um, share their insight and ideas for growth. There you go. Uh, what have you got, Tracy? Well, I, I've just bookmarked that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going back to the jam roly-poly article. OK, so I was looking through Business Insider um, pages um, sort of online this week. And it reminded me of a resource that I haven't used for a little while and, and thought actually I, I needed to revisit. And that's Google Scholar. And it's a database, I think it was established early 2000s, 2004, um, of academic journals, essays and other scholarly, scholarly literally, yeah, stuff, literature. Yeah. And yes, I used it when I was studying, but also I, I could see uses for it in business. So if you're writing a business case or a pitch and you want the latest up-to-date academic research on this, mm-hmm. Google Scholar could be a great place to find it it's good because there's reference to articles in journals conference papers academic books uh, theses and dissertations 
and technical reports and anyone can search the database now not all of it would be free some of it might lead to somewhere where you you actually have to pay for the content but in some cases just an abstract is enough we mentioned this before when i talked about the business history yeah. magazine yeah yeah and if there's just an abstract sometimes if you're making a business case for something just having that reference and being able to refer back to that paper if somebody wants it is enough to actually give your report some credibility would you ever use anything like that heather i th- yeah i mean i i would some of it is is quite um hardcore and quite intense and very detailed but i certainly think that if i were pitching something to a client or if i were trying to fix a problem for them it sometimes would be helpful to be able to just at least quote you know current thinking around this is this yeah or um one of the side effects if you don't do that is this so just to have something that as you say adds credibility adds weight and also demonstrates that you've found your you know you know your way around your subject and that you've actually got something that resonates with the person that you're pitching to yeah and you can create this library of research around a topic and you can create any topic so you could go on and say i want to um all the research you've got on communication uh, so your your area of expertise yep, heather yep. or you could go to global warming or astronomy or whatever takes your fancy yep. something to do with your business if if it's a particular business case you're looking to support and you can sort them in date order so you can find the most recent um, research and data on the subject you can look at keywords uh, you can look at, at things where um, these articles have been cited and you can look through the reference section of those papers then to get an even deeper research. Yep. So you can imagine, you know, me going down a rabbit hole. I find a, a paper and then I look at the references and then you go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. So it's not for everyone, I admit, but Google Scholar, really useful if you want something to just add some weight, some credibility to any paper that you're reading. And then that led me on to actually thinking about Google reviews so I, w- I was sort of in a google mindset you, you were. and uh, google reviews is something that um, so a lot of businesses might not be aware of because they maybe haven't got a verified business profile but if you go and have a look on google maps for your business name you're the chances are you're going to be on there somewhere and if somebody's found you who wants to write a review that could be sitting there without you knowing so go to maps.google.com if you're on your desktop and just put in your business name hit search and on the left hand side you should be able to read reviews are you doing it now heather i am and if you have got a review there and you've got a a verified business account you can click reply to the review if you have got reviews on there that you want to respond to but you haven't then you do need to go through the whole this is my business claim this business and then go through the verification process which can take a week or so to do but well worth doing and i think it's always worth bearing in mind that if there are reviews out there that you want to reply to just use your common sense and um keep your responses short and keep them kind thanking your customers <laughs> for their feedback um I, I think that's fairly standard sort of pr advice on, on a review i think personally i think the worst thing that somebody can do when they get a review is to sort of bark back at the person who's left the review even if it's a stinker um, what you can do, however, in Google is if you think that a review is 
is blatantly wrong or spammy, you can actually flag it up and ask for it to be removed. But okay. you can't have just bad reviews removed from Google. So you have to, if it's uh, false information or your business account's been spammed by these reviews, then you can ask for it to be deleted. But just negative, true reviews will just stay there. So it, it's worthwhile having a look, going to Google Maps and seeing if there are any reviews on your business. And if you haven't already, claim that business that appears on Google Maps and make it a ver verified business account. Did you find any reviews on your business? No reviews, but I did find that it was showing an incorrect address. Well, there you go. So I have now updated it and it is being reviewed by Google. Well, there we go. Live. It works. <laughs> You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And once again, I chose this um, business leader to profile and she comes from Stoke-on-Trent. No. There's a bit of a trend here, isn't there? Well. <laughs> to be fair, if you live in Stoke-on-Trent and you run a business, there's a good chance I'm going to profile you at some point. Well, yeah, look out. <laughs> so the lady we're talking about today is called Sarah Willingham. And not only did she um, come from Stoke-on-Trent, she also attended the same high school and, and overlapped with me. She's oh, you mean you would have been in school at the same time? At the same time, in the same building. But she's three years younger than me, so I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> Probably, you don't tend yeah. to notice people in the lower years, do you? That just the, you look up to. You're the looking ones up that, to. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So she was born in 1973. She's younger than me, so work that one out. And she apparently started work. This is from her own website, so I'm, I'm taking it as true. At the age of 11, with a paper round, but it didn't pay enough really for the amount of work. And so she started to work in a restaurant at the age of 13. Fair dues to her. She went on after school to get two degrees in business, one from the UK, one from France. And then this is where her career started to go very much in the direction of the restaurant trade. She worked for Planet Hollywood and Pizza Express, but then spotted an opportunity um, for a chain of Indian restaurants. And she went to Pizza Express. They weren't interested. So she went out on her own, raised finance, which becomes another feature of her career. She's good at raising corporate finance. And she went on to buy the Indian restaurant chain, the Bombay Bicycle Club. And she turned it into a successful Indian restaurant chain in the UK. Have you ever been to one, Heather? I haven't. I, no, I wish me. I had. Just on the name, I'd like to go. <laughs> and um, she then... Uh, it goes on to say on the website that her growing family and the fact that she was running a business were coming into conflict. So she sold her shares in the Bombay Bicycle Club and uh, she started to look for different opportunities so where she could have more of a, uh, a home life with her, her young family. And she now invests in a range of businesses. But she's also had a TV career as well, Heather. So what did you find out about Sarah? Well, she... She's clearly a family woman. You know that's really important to her. And and I I I did read somewhere where I think the interviewer was suggesting. Well, you know, it's easy to be a family. You know, focus on putting family first when you've got money in the bank. But she said that you know that that's always been her way of thinking. Really, and um, I thought what was most interesting about her is that she she talked about the fact that as a child um, she didn't really know what she wanted to do. 
Uh, and she didn't, she certainly wasn't thinking of TV or restaurants, but she was fascinated by brands. And uh, she said that she she wanted to work for Coca-Cola to find out how they had got into the homes of pretty much every person that she knew and indeed the wider world. I mean, you go, you know, you go abroad, there's always Coca-Cola. Um, and she she sort of thought, well, OK, my big passions after leaving uni were food, travel and business. So she sort of forged a career around some of that um but she was a little bit surprised when she was approached to be a dragon on dragon's den but that is where her sort of tv career kind of um where she really came to the spotlight go go back a few years well you mentioned this when she was involved with the restaurant with raymond blanc this is where she first came to my attention uh, there was a, a show called The Restaurant. It ran for three series. Mm. It was um, with Sarah and Raymond Blanc, and it was um, it, they were looking for the next big restaurant, and they were going to invest in this restaurant. So they were put through their paces. It was a bit like a Bake Off, but on mm. restaurant scale. And uh, that that ran for three series. And she went on and invested in and co-founded the London Cocktail Club, who were the winners of the third series. And I'd completely forgotten about that and I hadn't really come across it in the research that I was doing. But then you, you mentioned it before we before we came on air and then it all sort of slotted into place. Because I remember that the, one of the there were two sisters, I think they were twin sisters and they might have been in Brighton. Um, and they did really well. They opened a sort of very rustic sort of shabby chic kind of um, restaurant and, and did very well. So, but I'd completely forgotten all about that. Um, but she... She got involved in the Dragon's Den and she uh, invested, you know, some of her money. Um, In particular, um, a guy called Mark Weilman from Sublime Science. Um, And it was a company that did children's science parties. And she and Nick Jenkins, who was founder of Moonpig.com, who was a dragon at the time, um, they invested £50,000 in return for a, a 10% stake in the business and um, and that has already doubled. So, uh, so she's shrewd in her investment. I found a particularly, what I thought was quite an interesting clip of things that she has, um, her sort of top tips for success, if you like. Uh, it was a newspaper cutting and I found an image of it. Um, and she is, this is where it proves that she's very much family orientated. Um, share responsibilities with your husband or partner. Never mix work and family time. When you're working, you're working. And when you're a mum, you're a mum. Be time efficient. Make phone calls walking between meetings. She says, when I'm working, not a single second is wasted. Uh, Exercise before the kids wake up, if you've got kids. Or the cats, if you've got cats. Um, You'll feel more (laughs) energetic during the day. Um, Pay someone to do the cleaning and the ironing. You know, put a value on your time. And that's something that um, we're often not very good at. Um, so, yeah, so those are some sort of Well, following on balance. from that, yeah, she did an article, um, sorry, an interview with uh, Management Today, and she says that initially to, to make sure she got a healthy work-life balance because her tendency would be to do 100-hour weeks, yeah. is she diarised her downtime. And oh, it sounds now yeah. like she's she's got better at that, but initially she had to actually put it in her diary to make sure that she did it. I think that's a really wise idea. Yeah, and going back to the Bombay Bicycle Club, I think when she bought it, it, it when she set it up, it was just a small number of, of restaurants. 
Um, I'm trying to see. Yes, uh, it was a group of six restaurants and she grew it to a chain of 17. Um, and that's that's really then when she moved that on, that's when she really made her money. Well, I had a look on social media as well. Um, Facebook seems there was nothing posted on there since 2017. However, if you want up to date um, comments from Sarah then go to Twitter her comments on there are up to date and her bio says love life wake up kick ass be kind repeat mum of four amazing kids married to a great bloke travel a lot eat a lot play a lot and work a bit mm-hmm. and I did look on company's house because I, I read that um, she runs a business portfolio from her home alongside her entrepreneur husband and it says she, they've jointly invested in and supported businesses with a focus on growing the brands and the food and drink industry. But actually, she has no current appointments listed against the name of Sarah Louise Willingham on Company's House. I did try her married name as well, but couldn't find anything. So presumably she's investing without becoming um, a, a director of these companies. So we always finish with a quote. Heather, what did you get? The, um, it's very simple and to the point. It's if you think you've got a business in you, give it a go. And mine is um, from an interview with startups.co.uk. She says, if you had one million pounds, what would you spend it on? And if you don't know the answer to this, it means you don't have a business model. Think about it. Yeah. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.